Good morning and welcome to all of you who are here with us as well as our online church family. If you are new to New Life, my name is Chris. I'm one of your pastors here at New Life. And I want to talk to you today about a subject that I think has been extremely neglected in the modern day American church. And that is the subject of spiritual arrogance. Spiritual arrogance. Now, I'm just going to guess that as soon as I said that what we're going to be talking about today is spiritual arrogance, that some of you began to check out. <laughs> like some of you probably were like, oh, okay, this, this, this is probably good for, for my uncle or, or my, my kid. Or, um, but this doesn't really apply to me because I'm actually one of the most humble people that I know. You know? And that's, that's really kind of the problem with spiritual arrogance, isn't it? It's, it's, it's just like we don't ever see it in ourselves. So I've been in in ministry, I've been a pastor for you know, 15, 16 years now, and I can tell you, like, I've never, not one single time, had somebody come to me and say, hey, pastor, I need to talk to you and confess the sin that I'm really struggling with, I'm just kind of grappling with it in my heart, and it's the sin of arrogance. Like, I just think I'm better than everybody else. Like, in fact, I know I'm better than most people. Like, I've ne- I, people have confessed all kinds of wild sins to me throughout the years. That has never, not once, been something anybody has ever come to me and said, I, I, pastor, I'm just struggling with spiritual arrogance, which begs the question, why is that? Why is it that people will confess all sorts of sins, but not one single time have I ever heard anybody say, this is something that I struggle with? And I think the answer to that question is because spiritual arrogance tends to be so subtle, isn't it? It's just this kind of the subtle, insidious sin that If we're honest, it just kind of seeps into the cracks of our lives without us even knowing it, and it infects our hearts, and we are oblivious to it like 99.9% of the time. Then it begins to eat away at our joy and our happiness. It can create disunity in our relationships at home. It can create friction within the body of Christ, the local church. In fact, I would wager to bet that many of your problems right now at home Uh, at your school, on your college campus, at your workplace, could absolutely be traced back to the subtle sin of spiritual arrogance either in your life or in the life of someone that you know. So if you were one of those people that was tempted to check out when you heard that today was gonna be about spiritual arrogance, let me just reel you back in. Let me invite you back in for the next half hour or so because I think there's probably not a person in this room or tuned in on live stream right now that does not deal with this to one degree or another in their lives. And if you're new here, this is your first time, we're in a, our summer series through the book of James called Faith in Motion. And James, little half-brother of Jesus, what he's trying to get us to understand in this little book is that following Jesus, faith in Jesus Christ is active. Like this is, this is something that's supposed to be alive in our lives. It's, it's something that should be breathing in our lives. This is not, following Jesus is not merely an intellectual belief in something. It's an intellectual belief, yes, but it doesn't start there. It filters down into and bleeds out into every aspect of our lives, right? It should influence the way we do business, the way we uh, study at school. It should influence the way that we act and react to our kids and our spouse and our parents and our neighbors and everything else. It's not just a static intellectual belief. It is a complete life transformation. And so if you have a Bible this morning on your, maybe an app or a phone or a tablet, go ahead and go there. We're gonna be in James chapter four. 
We're actually going to wrap up chapter 4 today. Two weeks ago was the last time we were in James. Pastor Ramazan was with us last week. He just presented this fabulous challenge from Romans chapter 1. But the last time we were in James was two weeks ago. And James was talking about friendship with the world and friendship with Jesus. And how those two ideas really don't, can't coexist in the kingdom of Jesus. And so we talked about the tendency that that we all have, myself included, by the way, this tendency that we all tend to have to want to straddle the fence, to keep one foot in friendship with the world and the other foot with friendship with Jesus, and we just kind of want a little bit of both. And so what that looks like is, yeah, listen, man, I I love Jesus, and I I go to church, and I I try to follow the Bible, but listen, I like sleeping with my girlfriend too. Love Jesus like Sleeping with my girlfriend. I love Jesus. I, I read the Bible, but I listen, I, I, I like being, being accepted by the world. I like being accepted by the culture. And so I'm, I'm going to compromise on what the Bible says about fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. And so two weeks ago, James was like, no, 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 guys. You, guys, you have to understand, if you say you love Jesus, if you say you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to understand that friendship with the world is what he called enmity against God. And that Greek word that we translate enmity is actually, it means aggression. So this is not some small thing where it's like, oh yeah, cool, I'm, I'm cool with Jesus on Sunday, but then I kind of do my own thing Monday through Saturday, and, and it's all good. It'll all work out in the end, right? Jesus is love anyway, and James is going, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Friendship with the world is actually aggression is a full frontal assault on the character of God himself. And these things cannot coexist with one another. You have to choose. And so he ended the last time we were together in this chapter with this admonition in verse 10. I'm going to put this on the screens. This is how we ended last time. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will be the one that exalts you. And so James seems to be kind of presenting this idea that the cure to spiritual arrogance and even friendship with the world is actually humility before the Lord. It's saying, God, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna surrender my friendship with the world, like all these things that in my flesh I wanna do, and the world is actually encouraging me to do this and to embrace these things and to celebrate these things, and actually I'm not gonna do those. I'm gonna humble myself, I'm gonna submit my will to yours, God, and I'm gonna follow your ways instead of my ways, the ways of my flesh, the ways of this world. I'm even gonna follow you, Jesus, when it costs me something, when it costs me a lot. And now, this morning, what James is gonna do is he's gonna give us two ways that this spiritual arrogance kinda tends to flesh itself out in our lives. It's gonna, he's gonna say that, that this kinda pops up in two main areas in our life. One is in our tongues, our, our speech, our words, and the other area that this spiritual arrogance tends to flush itself out is in our plans, the way that we plan and we execute our lives. That's where arrogance tends to incubate the most in our life, our speech and our plans. And so let's get right into it. James chapter four, starting in verse 11. Again, little half-brother of Jesus, the pillar of the early Jerusalem church, he writes this. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, The one who speaks against a brother 
or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. We'll get to that in a minute. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. And if you're wondering, that's not you. It's God. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So James goes, who are you? Like, who do you think you are? And James is saying, hey, listen, this is a primary way that spiritual arrogance tends to rear its ugly head in our lives is our speech with one another, and ain't that the truth? Don't we tend to just tear each other down with our tongues? And listen, James has already gone after our tongues like three or four times already in this letter, and he's coming back to it once more. And really what James is saying is, hey, this, this is the idea of slander. This is the idea of attacking one another, of tearing each other down to build ourselves up with our, with our words. And James is going, hey, hey, listen, dear brother, dear sisters, you need to be careful because, listen, when you assault one another with your words, you're actually speaking evil of the law and becoming a judge of the law. Now, if you're new to church, you're probably like, what the heck is, what, what, what does that mean? What relevance does that have to my life as an American in 2021? Let me take you back to a scene in Matthew's gospel, chapter 22. Some of you maybe are familiar with this story, but the Pharisees, these uh, religious punks, these legalistic jerks, they, they come to Jesus and they're trying to trap Jesus. So they, they say, Jesus, out of, out of all the Old Testament laws, which is the greatest? So out of all 613 laws found in the Old Testament, tell us which one is great. And what they're doing is they're saying, they're hoping that he's gonna say one thing and then they can say, ah, we got you, right? You said that, it's actually this over here. You're a heretic, let's stone him, guys. Let's kill him, they're trying to trap him. Do you remember Jesus' response to that question? It was brilliant, wasn't it? It left him dumbfounded, speechless. They had no response. His answer was, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law is summed up in these two things. That is the royal law. That's what James calls it. He calls that the royal law in chapter two. You may remember that a few weeks ago. And so when James says, hey, listen, when you guys, when you guys start to slander each other and gossip about each other and you start, start tearing each other down behind each other's back, you need to understand that you are making yourself a judge of the law. He's saying, hey, listen, not only are you hurting each other with your words, you're actually, listen to this, you're actually elevating yourself above God, the capital J judge. Right, because the law that Jesus gave us is love your neighbor as yourself, and you can't tear your neighbor down while loving them well. And so in essence, when we do that, we're saying, hey, Jesus, thanks for the command. Appreciate it, bro. Thanks, JC, for giving me that law. But actually, my law is better than your law. My judgment is better than your judgment. I know you say I should love my neighbor, but you don't understand, Jesus. They don't deserve love right now. They deserve a little bit of justice. And I'm gonna met out that justice on your behalf. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them a piece of my mind, Lord. I'm gonna, I'm gonna set them straight. So thanks for your advice, JC, but I got this one. You let me run with this one. And James is saying, hey, listen, guys, 
Brothers and sisters, when we try to play God, we become judges of the law, lowercase j. We hurt other people, and we're trying to sit on God's throne. And James is saying, listen, friend, that is not your seat. Get off the throne. Your arrogance has corrupted your tongue, your speech. Now, you may remember a few weeks ago in chapter 3, James says, how is it that with the same mouth, We bless God. We come into this room on Sunday morning and we sing praises to him. And out of that same mouth, we will curse a brother or curse a sister that is made in the very image and likeness of that God that we just worshiped. And James is saying, hey, listen, that is the height of spiritual arrogance. Now, now just one quick caveat to all of this. There are some who would point to verses like this and they would say things like, only God can judge me, see? This is evidence. You don't, don't challenge any sin in my life and don't, you don't, don't tell me that anything I'm doing is wrong because you just heard that verse. Don't, don't judge your neighbor, right? Only God can judge me, not realizing that that may be one of the most terrifying statements ever uttered. Only God can judge me. That shouldn't bring you solace, friend, if you're living in sin. That there is a perfect, holy God And one day you will stand before him and you will give an account of your life. And if you are living in such sin that nobody that loves you around you can come to you and challenge you without you saying, only God can judge me, you can't judge me. Listen, God will judge you and it's not gonna end well for you, friend. That shouldn't be a warm blanket for you. That should be terrifying for you. Only God can judge me. And understand this, here's what James is not saying. James is not saying that we should not lovingly call out sin in each other's lives. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus himself lays out a whole process for how the steps where we should, how we should challenge sin in each other's lives in the body of Christ. James is simply saying, man, we don't elevate ourselves by tearing other people down. We humble ourselves. God is the one who exalts us. And so we love neighbor as self. And sometimes loving neighbor as self, by the way, is lovingly challenging and confronting somebody in sin in their life. I thank God that I've had brothers in my life through the years who have come to me in love with a tear in their eyes, not in judgment, not throwing stones at me, but have challenged me with sin that they've seen in my life. I've been grateful for those brothers. James is not saying we should never confront each other with sin. No, we we humble ourselves. We love each other as, 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 as we love ourselves. We encourage each other. We lift each other up as brothers and sisters in the body. And that's the first way that spiritual arrogance tends to manifest itself in our lives, our words and our tongues. And so here's the first imperative. Here's the first command James gives us. In light of spiritual arrogance that we all struggle with, here's truth number one. It'll be on the screens for you. James would say, brother or sister, watch your tongue. Watch your tongue. Like critical words that tear down, if that is a, and listen, you need to do a self-examination. If this is a pattern in your life, listen, that is a red flag that spiritual arrogance has infiltrated your heart and you need to deal with it before it deals with you. I heard recently of a, a famous pastor who was in seminary. If you've ever been to seminary or known somebody in seminary, you'll, you'll know about this, but one of the things that happens in seminary is they, they bring in uh, all these famous pastors. Like, so you have chapel service two or three times a week and they bring in all these big shot pastors and you're supposed to learn how to preach from these guys, I suppose. And so this, this guy, as a young seminary student, was, was there in a chapel and they bring in this pastor 
and he preaches a sermon, and so he said he, at the end of the, the service, he's in the back with his, some of his friends, and he's just tearing the guy apart. He's just like, man, can you believe that he opened up with that illustration? What a moron. Can you, can you believe that that was his exegesis of the passage, that he didn't even touch on this historical context or this, what this was going on? Can you, and the jokes he told, like, he was just ripping this guy apart, and somebody in his group kind of piped up and said, hey, man, you may not know this, but this brother's mom just died last week, and he just got a phone call this morning before he came up on stage to preach that his wife has terminal cancer. And he said he felt about this small. That's exactly what James is saying. Friend, do not elevate yourself above God with your words. You are not God and you don't know, you have no idea what's going on in other people's lives. So saying, believer, learn how to watch your tongue. If you don't have a filter on your mouth, go get one. You need to watch your tongue. Now before we move on, let me just ask you a question. How are we doing with this church family? How are we doing with this? Do you ever find yourself being critical of other people, other brothers and sisters, either publicly or more common than not, privately, because we don't have the guts to say it to their face, but we do typically have the guts to talk about people behind their backs? Do you ever find that as a pattern in your life? Do you ever find yourself slandering others, gossiping about others behind their backs? James would say to you this morning, be careful, friend. You are making yourself a judge of the law. You are elevating yourself above God himself and you are revealing a heart that is spiritually arrogant beating inside of your chest. Now remember, our, our words are just a window into our hearts. Most of us don't have a tongue problem, we have a heart problem. And that's something that only Jesus can fix in each one of us. But that, that's not just the only problem with spiritual arrogance is our words and our tongues. There's actually something else where spiritual arrogance manifests itself in our life, and James is gonna tell us it's actually our plans. It's actually how we go about living our lives and executing our lives. Look at verse 13. He says, come now, you who say. That's James's way of saying, come on now, bro. Come on now. Come now, you who say. Today or tomorrow. He's saying, he, he's saying this is absurd. That a Christian would live their lives this way, it's, it's laughable. That's kind of the, the tone here. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and we will spend a year there and we will trade and we'll make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? By the way, that's a good question for all of us to ask this morning. What is your life? What's the purpose of your life? Where are you going in life? What are you living for in life? James says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but in the first century, business travel was very common. Not unlike today, right? People would start small businesses and people would travel and they would franchise and they would try to sell their goods, right? It was common. They would go other places to try to turn a profit. And so let, let me just say this. Uh, here's what James is not saying. I don't want you to walk out of here hearing this. James is not saying that planning is evil or that having goals is wrong. So all you planners can just breathe a sigh of relief, right? You can relax your thumbs. You don't have to send that email to me with all the Proverbs, Bible verses. Um, I, I get it. The scriptures talk a lot about planning, particularly in the book of Proverbs. 
Now, I don't know what it's like in, in your family. In, in my family, we have, we have one planner and one spontaneous person, okay? Now, some of you, maybe you got two planners and you guys are just buttoned up and organized. Maybe you got two spontaneous people and you guys are probably in debt and your life is chaotic. But for us, man, we got, we got, we got one planner and one spontaneous person, and I'm not gonna tell you who's who, right? You're just gonna have to guess. Um, but the, I'm telling you, this caused issues, Still occasionally causes it. But early on in our marriage, this caused real issues, particularly when we were getting ready to go on vacation. Okay, I'm just telling you, because Cheryl, I guess, I guess I'll let the cat out of the bag. Cheryl, Cheryl wants to plan the vacation. So the day one of vacation, we're gonna roll out of bed at nine, shower, be ready to go out the house at 9.15 so we can be to the, our favorite restaurant joint by 9.45, we'll beat the crowd. To me, that is stressful, all right? My whole life in ministry is planned out and mapped out and scheduled out. And so when I go on vacation, I want no plan. I want to wake up whenever I wake up. And if I feel like eating breakfast, I'll eat breakfast. If not, I'll eat at 3 o'clock, you know. I want nothing. And Cheryl drags out the suitcase three months before we leave. She starts packing the medicine. Oh, we can't forget this. And for me, if we're leaving at 8 o'clock, about 7.45, I start thinking about what I need to pack for vacation. That's the way I roll. So this, this caused a lot of friction early on in our marriage. Now, we've been married for almost 18 years now, and since that time, those early years, she's come to her senses. She's realized how right I am. I've graciously accepted her apology. No, we have, we have compromised through the years, right? Planning can be good. There's a place for planning and goals, and there's a place for spontaneity. We've learned that about one another. Goals can be good. Right, if you're setting a goal to uh, get in shape physically or spiritually, hey, I'm gonna read my Bible more this week. Hey, I'm gonna pray more this month. Hey, I'm gonna be more consistent in my church attendance. I'm gonna join a small group. I'm gonna go on a mission trip. Those, those types of plans, those types of goals are, are good. They're God-honoring things. But here's what James is actually warning us against. Are you ready for it? This is what he's warning us against. Prideful planning. Arrogant planning. This idea that this is my will This is what I want. These are my plans, and I will do them, and I will execute them, and I'm going to make them happen, and I'm going to force it to happen because I want to happen, and it's my plan. Right? Now, let's look back at verse 13 and watch the tone here from this uh, theoretical person that James is talking about. James says, come now. Come on, bro. You who say, today or tomorrow. So this person is... They're saying, hey, this is when I'm gonna do it. I'm determining the when. We're gonna go into such and such a town. They're determining the where it's gonna happen. So the when, the where, it's all in their hands. We're gonna spend a year there. So they're determining the time frame that their plans are gonna happen. And then we're gonna trade and we're gonna make a profit. So they're gonna determine the results of their efforts, right? The when, the where, the how long, and the results all in my hands. Do you know what's missing from this person's plans? God. It's all about my will. It's all about my plans. It's all about what I want and how I'm gonna make it happen and how I'm gonna accomplish this and here's the time frame and here's how I'm gonna make money and here's where it's gonna happen and when it's not gonna happen and all this kind of stuff and there's no thought given to What does God want in my life? Does he even want me going to this city? 
Does he even want me taking this job? Does he even want me dating this person or marrying this person or spending my money this way or that way? God is missing from this equation entirely. And James is saying that is the height of spiritual arrogance. And here's the deal. Most of us are guilty of this, not some of the time, but almost all of the time. We live our lives, we pursue our plans, we lay out our five-year goals and our retirement plans and what college we're gonna get into and and what kind of person we're gonna date or we're gonna marry and how many kids we're gonna have and we're gonna have the white picket fence and 2.4 kids and how much money we're gonna make and then listen, this is what we do. Dear God, please bless these plans, amen. That's what most of us do. In other words, God, I know what's best for my life. And so your job, God, as the creator of the universe, as all-knowing, all-powerful king, your job, God, is to sit on the sidelines of my plans and sprinkle your blessing dust on my plans because at the end of the day, God, it is all about me and what I want. And you have turned God into your little cosmic butler boy and you ring your little bell and you expect him to run when you call and do what you want when you want it and if not, you get mad and think that you've been treated unjustly by God. And we call that being a Christian nowadays, don't we? Right, because I I prayed to God. I asked him to bless my plans. And James goes, he's going, listen, brother, sister, disciple of Jesus, you missed it. You missed it, you arrogant buffoon. Now, that's my translation. Don't look for that in the text. If you look for arrogant buffoon, you're not gonna find it there. But I think that's the gist of what James is saying there. And then James even says something a little more jarring. Look at verse 14. He says this, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James goes, you reckless, foolhardy people. You don't even know what tomorrow's gonna bring. What is your life? You guys are making all these plans like you're gonna live on this planet forever. What is your life? James is going, I'm gonna tell you what your life is like. Your life is like a mist. It's like a vapor that appears for a second and then it is gone forever. Uh, One of the things I've enjoyed doing ever since I can remember as a little kid and I still enjoy it now that I'm in my 40s, um, I guess, I've just never grown up, but I love going out when it first starts getting cold in the winter, right? Like November, December, and you walk outside and you go, ah. right? You see, like, I love that. Just, there's something about that that gives me joy. I don't, I don't know what it is, but you see the mist of your breath and it's there for literally half a second and then it's gone. And James says, hey, wise guy, hey, wise gal, that's your life. Ah. Then it's over. That's the illustration of your life in the grand scheme of God's economy. And so for most of us to live our lives and have the attitude of like, hey man, here, here are my, here's my 10-year plan and here's how I'm gonna make money and this is when I'm gonna retire and here's the college I'm gonna go to and here's who I'm gonna marry and, and, and all of this stuff. And James is going, that's your life. Remember that when you plan your life. You don't even know if you're gonna see the sunrise tomorrow. 
And you're going to tell God what the next five years of your life ought to look like? That's your life. That's your life. And so here's the second truth that I think James would give us this morning. This will be on the screens for you. God is really good at being God, and you stink at it. (laughs) You do. And I do too. And that truth right there alone should have a massive humbling effect on all of us. Your life is a vapor. God is eternal. Your knowledge, listen, I don't care how smart you are, how intelligent you are, I don't care if you got 14 degrees hanging on your wall, your knowledge on anything in this world is laughably limited. And God is all-knowing. You have no power to control almost anything in your life, and yet God is all-powerful. James is saying, hey, listen, some of y'all need to stop playing God in your own life because you're terrible at it. So just cut it out. And here's, here's another thing I think related to it. The, the illusion of control is poison to your heart. The illusion of control is poison. Now you gotta understand, you control almost nothing in your life. Did you realize that? If you came here to get an encouraging message this morning, I just wanna apologize ahead of time. You control almost nothing in your life. Did you choose when you would be born? How you would be born? what gender you would be born as, what family you would be born into, what era you'd be born into, how, how, how tall you would be, how short you would be, how attractive you'd be, how unattractive you would be. You have no say over when you're gonna die. Your business that you've worked so hard for and you've done everything right by the book, it could go belly up next week. Your 401k that you've been saving for for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, it could evaporate next month. A loved one, a dear one in your life could die, could pass away. And listen, you have no power to control any of that. None of it. But if you're like me, and maybe you're not, maybe you're not nearly as spiritually arrogant as I am, but if you are like me, you battle this illusion of control. Because in my mind, here, here's how the record plays. I mean, if, if, I just, if I just try hard enough, Man, man, if I, if, I just, if I try hard enough, if I just work a little bit harder, if I, just, if I just think through things a little bit smarter, if I use my intellect, if I manipulate the pieces of the puzzle around my life, then my plans are gonna be established, my, wills are, my will is gonna be accomplished. And God in heaven must just look down at us and chuckle at us. That's cute. You guys are so cute down there thinking you know what you're doing and how you're gonna do it and you have any control at all. Now let me invite you into my plans because my plans will be established. My will will come to fruition and in fact, my plans for your life are actually the best plans for your life. So God's like, listen, why don't don't you just relax? Why don't you get off of my throne, stop trying to control things that you will never be able to control in your life, and why don't you just start enjoying me? Why don't you just enjoy me and press into me and walk with me daily and press into my plans for your life and what I'm doing in the world, and that leads us to our third and final truth this morning. Number three, Christian, stop living like a functional atheist. I think that's what James would say to us this morning if you were here. 
You say, Chris, what's a functional atheist? And a functional atheist is someone who professes faith in Jesus but lives their lives just like an atheist. And here's what it looks like. Yeah, I have faith in Jesus, but I'm calling the shots in my life. Yeah, I believe the gospel, but God better not tell me anything about my life in the bedroom. Yeah, I believe the Bible, but he better, God better not say anything about my bank account and how I man- manage it. Yeah, I love Jesus, but he better, he better not tell me anything about my schedule. Hey, pastor, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I know I haven't been to church in 13 years, but my kids got soccer tournaments and Little League every other week, and we work six days a week. We're tired. Sunday's our rest day. <sighs> Invest it wisely. It's a vapor. It's a mist. Oh, I, 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 love, I love God, pastor. I love, I love Jesus. He better just not tell me anything about where I move or what job I take or who I date. Pastor, I, I believe the Bible, except that one or two parts that kind of make me unpopular with the culture today and unpopular with my friends at college, school today. I, I just don't believe those parts. Functional atheist, people who profess one thing and live another. I love God, but I make all my plans without ever consulting him or consulting his word or getting wise counsel from other believers or any of my pastors, any of my elders, my small group leader, right? Because I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm the master of my destiny. We believe all these cultural mantras that are just a load of junk. And James would say, I love you enough to say you are a functional atheist. And brother or sister, you are living a deceived life. There is a better way. There's a better way. He gives us a better way starting in verse 15. Look at this. He says, instead, instead of living spiritually arrogant lives with our words and with our plans in life, he says, this is, this is the way it ought to be. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. And it's this idea of putting our will under the umbrella of God's will. Of what we want in our lives under the umbrella of what God is doing in the life of the world and universe. If the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. But James says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Now listen, most of us, again, I've placed myself in this category. Most of us think about sins and we think about the sins of commission, things we do, right? Murder, lying, having affairs, stealing. Well, what James is punching at here is not necessarily just sins of commission. He's actually punching at the sins of omission, not doing what we know we ought to do, neglecting to do what God has already told us to do. Now, now, just to be careful, I, I don't think James is saying here that you just you have to tack on if the Lord wills to every sentence that ever comes out of your mouth again. That'd get kind of weird, wouldn't it? I'm gonna brush my teeth before I go to church. If the Lord wills. Yeah, kind of weird. You know, I come home for dinner after work and sit down with my family, and Cheryl's like, hey, honey, will you pass the green beans? If the Lord wills. <laughs> Good. I guess the Lord wills for me to pass the green beans to, to you, Cheryl. I don't think we have to get weird about it. The Lord wills. But, but I think what James is saying is, listen, we need to be careful that we don't get so busy 
planning our tomorrow that we neglect to do what Jesus has told us to do today. And so many of us are so worried about tomorrow and next month and our five-year plan and our 10-year plan that we have forgotten to do what Jesus has called us to do today. You say, well, what has he called me to do today? It's really, really simple. We just talked about it, Matthew 22. Jesus says, love God with all you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 28, he says, make disciples along the way. And then I would just add, die happy with a smile on your face. That's it. Why, why do we try to complicate things and muddy the water? Love God, love each other, make disciples, die happy and be with Jesus forever. Right, that's a plan I can get on board with. The rest, man, the rest of our life and the scope of eternity really doesn't matter. I've heard a, a wise pastor once say, hey, Chris, listen, man, if, if what you're stressing about today won't matter in 10,000 years, you probably shouldn't be stressed about it today. If what you're worried about today won't matter in 10,000 years, you're really wasting your time and your energy and your emotional energy. You shouldn't be stressed about it. And James is just simply saying to us, listen, we ought to be living our lives with this attitude of God, whatever you want is what I want in my life. And every day when we wake up, it should just be like, God, what, what do you want me to do today? Like, who needs love today? Who needs compassion today? Who needs to hear the gospel today? God, help me walk with you and help me walk in your ways today and for the rest of my days. Listen, and it doesn't matter if I'm rich or I'm poor in this life. It doesn't matter if I'm mostly sick or mostly healthy in this life. It doesn't matter if anybody ever knows my name in this life. Jesus, if I got you, I got it all. So church, let's, let's lean into this truth that James is giving us. Let's begin to live out this upside down kingdom of Jesus ethic. Let's learn how to submit our lives and our tongues and our plans to King Jesus and humble ourselves before his mighty hand so that he could exalt us. Church, let's pray and then we're gonna stand and worship. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And I think my, my personal confession as I've labored over these verses this week and, and I think our corporate confession would have to be, God, please forgive us for our spiritual arrogance, for the ways in which we use our, our tongues and we, even we plan our lives absent of any view of what you want for our lives and how you might be directing us and leading us. God, would you forgive us for the spiritual arrogance that just saturates most of our lives most days? Would you forgive us for the times that we have lived like practical atheists? We say we love you, but yet our life denies you. We're not coming to you for any kind of wisdom or direction. We're just following our own pathway and we're asking you to bless it as if it's all about us and you exist to support our plans. God, forgive us for that level of arrogance. Would you help us, starting, starting now, to humble ourselves underneath the king and the judge of this world, the capital J, judge. Would we, would we begin to walk with you 
and filter our words and our actions and the way that we plan our time and our weekends and our resources and our talents and our spiritual gifts? And would we turn all of those things over to you, to you, King Jesus, and say, God, you do what you want in my life. It's not about my plan anymore. It's not about my five-year goals anymore. It's about what you want, what you're doing in the city and in my neighborhood and around the world. And I just want to be a part of that, King Jesus. Allow me to submit my will and my plans to your will and your plans. And Jesus, would you help us to do that starting today? We love you. We pray all these things in the strong and the beautiful name of your son and our savior, Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship our King.